1: Talk, the Opinions, the panel. Yeah. Yeah. Lavina Good joins us this morning on debut, I'm pleased to say, and Hugh Bainan is uh, back for yet another crack on the panel. Always enjoy uh, Hugh's input as well. Lavina. if I could start with you. Welcome along. Thank you very much. Um, Emma Raducanu is just another example of uh, women's sport being to the fore lately. What a great story that is. Lavina.
0: Hey, yeah, no, sorry. Yeah, great story. I love the fact it's just 18 years of age. Do you know, I was actually just thinking over the past few weeks, just years ago it was so predictable who was going to win women's tennis and the Serena sisters Mm. dominated it for so long. It became bloody boring. It started to do my head in. And then you come across a couple of young teenagers and I know lots of people have been talking about Naomi Osaka and her well-being and the pressure on her. The thing is, there's no pressure on these kids whatsoever they turned up to play tennis. That's what they wanted to do. And I thought it was spectacular. I enjoyed every moment of it. And I loved their attitude towards the sport. I know a few media commentators have come out and said, hey, let's not put them on a pedestal just yet. Well, I totally disagree with that. I say we put them on a pedestal. They're champions, for the both of them. And it's great to see a changing of the guard when it comes to women's tennis. So let's celebrate them. Let's um, make them known and let the people know that they're they're world champions. And and it's great to see it. just 18 years of age. It's incredible, an incredible feat, and they deserve to be recognised for it.
1: That's a good point you make, Ashley Lavina. We all work in the media, and we're sometimes we're the villains of the piece. But uh, Hugh Bain, and it's very hard not to have them um, on a pedestal, isn't it? I mean, it's just the way of the world. You do well, you're up high. You do poor, uh, you, you come to the ground crashing it. Uh, it's a bit of a brutal way to, way to go about things, but this girl's uh, going to be on a high. She seems pretty grounded at the moment, but, and I have it to uh, um, I put it, emphasis on the word but, we just don't know how she'll react to it over, over a period of time.
2: Yeah, you're right, and she's phenomenal, isn't she? She's, and the thing to remember is she joins a long list of you know, teenage phenoms in women's tennis, you know, back to Martina Navratilova, Martina Hingis, Mar- Maria Sharapova, all won... Uh, in their teens, their first Grand Slams, uh, countless others as well. The only thing that worries me is if she, if there is a place where you're going to get put on, put on a pedestal too much and put too much pressure on by the press, it is the UK, um, and that's where kind Kanu hails from. So um, there is that slight worry, but for now she seems super grounded. Like she says, there's no pressure. She doesn't put any pressure on herself. She's just playing tennis for fun, and gee, she's fun to watch play tennis as well. So good on her.
1: On the other end of the scale, of course, we saw uh, the the rise of her. We saw the fall temporarily, I would imagine, of of uh, Novak Djokovic. But is it temporary? Uh, he looked very upset and distraught at times Hugh, yesterday.
2: That was yeah. I wouldn't say we've seen the fall. You know, to make four Grand Slam finals in one year is phenomenal. To win three of them is, you know, almost unheard of. Um, he looked tired. Uh, you know, he looked completely fatigued, both mentally and physically. He looked like a man who had put a lot of pressure on himself. You know, for, for him to have another chance at a calendar Grand Slam is slim to none, the chances. So that would have been going through his head as well. And, and like he said in his post-game speech, which I thought he dealt with brilliantly, he felt relieved that it was over and he didn't have to stress out about it anymore. He is the best player of all time. There is no doubt about he is the best player of all time. I think I still personally think Roger Federer is the greatest tennis player of all time. I think that's two separate arguments in terms of what Roger's done for the game, the style of which he played, uh, how he's been an ambassador for the sport, how he changed the sport. But I don't think there's a debate that Novak Djokovic is the best player of all time. I can see him eclipsing the the 20 grand slams he's already won, uh, leaving Roger and Raffer in his dust in terms of accolades.
1: And down the phone line, Hugh, I can see Lavina Good absolutely agreeing with you, the greatest player of all time, Lavina.
0: No, I was glad he lost. Uh, He took my head in in Tokyo, actually, when he had a little hissy fit because he didn't win the gold medal. And it was like, ah, now that I haven't made it through to the final, I don't think I'll even help my double partner out at all. So it was a very selfish move, I thought, by Djokovic. And at 34 years of age, you've got this kid from Russia at 25 years of age, Medvedev, has come out and shown the tennis world just what you can do to teach someone a lesson or two. It was there for the taking for Djokovic. He should have won that match, and he didn't. And after all the years of experiences. In your eyes, you being the greatest or the best player of all time, you'd the think best, he would have turned best, up on the best, not the play. greatest. <laughs> See, well, if, if you <laughs> That's were... Pretty that possible, That's so pretty rough. That's pretty rough. You should have he pretty, he pretty much should have yeah. broken the record, which he didn't. So, I mean, he wasn't in the right mental space for that one. Yeah, he looked fatigued. Everyone else was playing tennis all week. It wasn't just Djokovic that had to play tennis as well. I had no issue with him losing and I was really proud of um, Medvedev for beating him again, just like what he did overseas at the Olympics, and, and proven that he was a better player than the best of all time on that particular day. So, yeah, I was... I was oh, don't get me wrong. Don't get him. me wrong.
2: I, I, very, I was very happy Medvedev won. He's a phenomenal young player, but it's not Pi on Djokovic for're only winning three out of four grand slams. God, what a failure. <laughs> yeah,
0: I love, I love I'm, 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 I'm wearing T-shirt that, I'm wearing a T-shirt that says Roger Federer right now as being the best and the greatest. So there you go. He goes straight to the top for me.
1: <laughs> right, Lavina. speaking of going to the top, what about that storm? What about those, that Melbourne Storm franchise again?
0: They're incredible, absolutely incredible. I just don't understand how they can lose so many um, players that have such an impact on their club and their team and that just that they keep pouring out new, new players. I mean, we've all talked about with Cameron Smith leave, leaving um, and also Billy Slater. It just goes on and on, and yet they replace them with phenomenal players, in, including Pappenhausen, who... You know, I don't even follow the Melbourne Storm, Smithy, but to sit back on Friday night and to check out the rugby league and to watch the Melbourne Storm play like that was so impressive for me. I felt privileged to be able to watch a kid like Pappenhausen to come out and have so much pace and decimate the opposition. It's really hard to see a side that can beat the Melbourne Storm at the moment. At the start of the year, I did tip the Panthers. I thought they were the team to do it because culturally, they've been very similar in terms of the build-up over the past half a decade, both Ivan Ivan Cleary um, has also been big on getting those younger players through and hanging on to them at the Panthers. So, culturally, they've had that same development and recruitment, very similar to the Melbourne Storm. But after watching what happened on Friday night, you'd be hard pressed to find a team that could beat them in the NRL at the moment. But a lot changes in the game of Rugby League. A lot changes very, very quickly. And as we know, the mighty Parramatta Eels beat them a couple of weeks ago, and they're still in the game. So you just never know. But at this stage, if you had some money on the Melbourne Storm to take out the grand final, you might be sitting pretty on it at the moment.
1: I think you're sitting prettier than if you're on the mighty slippery (laughs) eels.
0: I'm an eels fan from a long way back, mate. They have been breaking my heart decade after decade after decade. So I know what that feels like. (laughs) I absolutely know what that feels like. And uh, I know that they'll probably do it again, which wouldn't surprise me. But they had a match against the Knights and... I was actually at the grand final um, twenty years ago when the Knights beat the Parramatta Eels when the Eels were meant to win. So the same thing was happening at the weekend. The Eels were meant to win, but it, you know it got a bit nerve wracking for a while. But at the moment, the side that you know seems to turn out. Um, and you know, you just I just think with the Melbourne Storm, it's just because of recruitment and keeping players and having a good team culture. And you can't. It's like. With athletes, they say you can't buy a heart, you can't train a heart, right? So that you need to have the heart, you can't train it. It's the same as club culture. You can't buy club culture, you can't buy hearts on a side. And the Warriors need to take a good old look at what these sides are doing overseas, where they're playing for their club, not just playing for their, for their pay packet to try and develop a culture that can buy them a premi- premiership in five years' time.
1: Lavina, outstanding. Please stay uh, on the line because we've got to go to the news. Hugh, uh, you as well. I'm going to come back and ask you a couple of rugby matters, uh, particularly about the rise and rise of Quade Cooper. Where's this come from, Hugh? Big talk, big opinions. The panel. Yeah. Yeah. Lavina, good, and Hugh Bainan with us this morning. And Hugh will uh, come to you now, if I could, please. The rise and rise of Quade Cooper. Uh, he couldn't get citizenship uh, just before kickoff on Saturday night. Now they want to give it to him with gold attached to it.
2: Yeah, what a game. What a, what a comeback. Well, you know, I never fully understood the anti Quade Cooper sentiment. You know, I, he had that, that incident, didn't he, with Richie McCaw, which was a bit of a grub moment in that game against the All Blacks a few years ago. Um, he's also had some just genuinely magic moments. Against the All Blacks, and in his and in his pretty illustrious test career as well. So I never fully understood the the hate against him, apart from him being a good player from a team we don't like. Um, so I'm you know I'm happy to see him back. I'm happy to see that he's stuck with it after all this talk about rugby league over the years and, and where he might go and if he's going to call it a day and then not making the the Reds team anymore and all that kind of stuff. So I'm really happy to see him back and playing some good footy because man he's fun to watch. I mean I know I know Saturday night was. More a, uh, a masterclass with the boot, um, but when he's on his go, he's really fun to watch.
1: You, Bainham, would you make mass changes if you're Ian Foster this weekend for the second game against the Pumas?
2: Surely not to come across as you know an arrogant All Black fan or anything like that. Does it matter? We went down; to, they went down to 14 <laughs> men and still be and still scored tries against Australia. You, I feel like you could throw anyone out there in a black jersey and they're going to win. You know, honestly, that's how it comes across. And I know this isn't the rhetoric that the All Blacks themselves and the camp would ever go near saying. um, But that's the feeling I have right now. I'm sitting down to watch a game of rugby and I know who's going to win. And it's going to be the All Blacks. And then even Australia can go and knock off the world champ. So what's it going to be like when we get to eventually play the Springboks? The coaching staff might make mass changes. Maybe it's a good time to blood a few few fresh legs. Who knows? I don't think it's going to affect the result whatsoever.
1: Lavina, um, are, you, yeah, you uh, Lavin, are, you, are you a Quade Cooper fan? I, I kind of sense you might be.
0: Yeah, I have, I have a really nice story about Quade Cooper. Um, when he was touring New Zealand in 2015 with the Wallabies, I covered, um, went over to Palmerston North and, and covered one of the training sessions and it was all wrapped up and everyone took off and there was a couple of kids still looking for autographs and, you know, the All Blacks were kind of wrapped up in their, their busy um, busy lives and then they took him to the sheds and so had the Wallabies. But Quaid Cooper came out and talked to um, a family friend and while he was there, a couple of the kids walked up and he signed the autograph for them and got a couple of photos and the next thing you know, he's taking them out on the pitch and teaching them how to kick and, and technically showing how to, how to kick. So he spent about... 30 or 40 minutes of these kids and I'm like great story, this is going to be a great story and had a chat to my camera operator and hope to film it and get an interview and stuff and Craig Cooper basically said I really don't feel like doing a story on this, it's just about about these kids getting them into rugby and, and letting them know that you know it's a great sport and you, you can interview the kids but don't focus on me at all and I thought that said, mm. said a lot about him and it made me think what Hugh just said then What what is this big love-hate relationship that we have with Craig Cooper and it's not just I don't think it's just attacking um, the golden man, Richie McCaw. It wasn't just that; It's the fact that he, he was a Kiwi that left at 13 and then wanted to be an Australian. That's really hard for the Kiwis to swallow. Um, I was absolutely shocked when they named him. I mean, it, he's been in the wilderness for four years. He hadn't played since 2017. And I always rated him as a player, and I know him and Chika had a lot of issues. They did not like each other at all, and they do not like it each other at all. But I thought it was a really bad move from the Wallabies to put him in, in that position and the number 10 to try and take on the world champs. But in the end, it did well. And I mean, he kicked, what, 23 of the 28 points, uh, won it for Australia. did wonders for New Zealand in terms of the championship. Now we go five points ahead. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm actually a Quade Cooper fan, um, but I think his days are numbered because Rugby, as we all know, is becoming a young person's game. You've got to be fit. You've got to be strong. And if he is going to hang around, I think it will only be for 2021. I don't think we'll see him next year.
1: Hugh, one of the stories coming out of uh, the UK uh, from uh, World Rugby is that they're looking at the possibility of a World Rugby Cup every two years. Uh, What's your take on that? Can the game sustain one every two years? Uh, I mean, it's a very costly thing to... Uh, to to stage for a start, isn't
2: it? It is. I don't like it, Smithy. I don't like it. You know, I grew up, you know, in Wales uh, with a Welsh father, loving Welsh rugby, and moved over to New Zealand as a teenager. And the one thing that always got me was, with the Tri-Nations as it was, with the rugby championship, it doesn't feel as special to me as the Six Nations does because the Six Nations is you just play that team once a year. You know, and it's that specialness and, and like those old tours against the All Blacks or against England from the other side of the world or Wales or whatever, what was so special was that you didn't see them that often. And so when they came about, they meant something, you know, and that's why a Lions tour still has the appeal that it does because we don't get to see it for every four years or 12 years when they actually come to our country, and that's what makes it so special. And it's the same with the Rugby World Cup, every four years, and then so those three years in between, the narrative is building towards that Rugby World Cup. Every two years, is it gonna, I don't think it's going to be as special. I just don't think it would be.
1: Lavina, could you get up, uh, get up, and excited for it if you knew it was two years away? I mean, the players—some of the players would, because nah, four think... years is quite a long cycle, isn't it? It's a long cycle you could miss. Yeah, I, the thing that gets me, Smithy, and
0: you is that I think it's a, a monetary decision. I think it's about um, rugby, like all other sports has been hit hard by COVID, where you haven't been able to have the bums on seats and competitions have been affected. We even saw with the Olympic games that it was about television coverage and about broadcasters trying to make money out of distributing it to the world because that's the way the world goes around. But for me, the four year cycle has worked out tremendously well. Um, And it also gives us an opportunity to breed new players and get new players coming in. So it's not just the same key players that are being superstars over a period of time. We've seen how quickly things have changed for um, South Africa from winning in 2019 in regards to that performance that they put up against the Wallabies just recently. So I wouldn't really like a two-year cycle, but I understand why people would be considering it, and I guarantee because it comes down to money. It's about making more money, more television rights to get it out there. It's not about about appeasing the rugby public. I think if you vox popped or interviewed the rugby public out there at the moment, most of them would tell you that they'd be pretty pleased with a four-year cycle.
1: Lavina, good. Outstanding. Thank you very much for your time this morning and your thoughts. Hugh Bainon, as always, uh, a pleasure having you as part of the panel. Interesting, uh, folks. Yeah, double eight, double three is our uh, text number. There's uh, a subject you might want to come in on. Is Djokovic the best of all time, the best player of all time in your mind? How quickly can we forget some players? I mean, he's going after uh, the record or to equal the record Of the Rocket, Rod Laver, the Rockhampton Rocket, Rod Laver, who was in the crowd yesterday. And of course, he failed at the hurdle, failed quite miserably yesterday. So um, does Laver stay as the greatest of all time? Tennis fans, get in on that. Uh, Even general public who uh, just have tennis as a passing interest. Is it possible uh, that Djokovic is the best player of all time? Or is he not? 8833 is the number.